0: Hey, uh, my name's Paul Cohn. I'm one of the elders. I go to usually go to first service. you don't know who I am. I'm one of the elders of the church. And um, Josh is going to be gone uh, the next couple of weeks, and um, we're going to be doing uh, a, a series that Josh wanted us to do. And this first one is um, this week, and we're going to work, read Matthew 22:34. So, when we turn our um, Bibles to the Matthew 22:34 through 40. Now, mine is the um, New Living Translation, uh, which I like myself just because I'm not an educated guy, and it's easy for me to understand, so if you can follow along with, uh, in yours, um, bear with me, would you please? It says, but when the, Phag- uh, the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again, and one of them, an expert in the religious law, tried to trap him with this question, teacher. Which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Then Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. It all comes down to these two things. We can do a whole bunch of other things, but it comes down to two basic things. God doesn't give us a bunch of rules to follow. He gives us two. Love God, love people. Those are the two greatest things. Tim, so I mentor you. You remember, for all your life, you remember these two things. Love God, love people. Nothing else matters. Because if you can do these two things, you're doing what God wants you to do. This is it. It comes down to this. Today we're going to be talking about loving God. And Isaac will be talking about loving people next week. But we're going to focus on loving God. We're going to get back to basics. I'm no theologian, but I'm just going to share with you guys what's been going on in my life the last five, six years. Um, how I guess God's really been showing me a lot of things. Um, I've been working with uh, Bill Allison. He's a good friend of mine and with other pastors and youth pastors in the area. We get together. Uh, we're called the, uh, the Pulp group, the Peoria Leadership Community. We just call it that. But we just get together, and we uh, wrestle with these questions we got about God and all this stuff. And we come. And I think I've learned the most. This is one of my favorite passages in the last five to six years because I've always tried to do things for God. You know, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. But... I gotta get back to the basics. And if I do the basics, everything else will come along. And the first thing is to love God and to love people. But how do you love God? Does it just happen? You know, become a Christian? Bingo! I love God. All taken care of. I don't have to worry about anything anymore. Tough question. And then the other question is, I think most of us ask is, how do we sustain sustain our love and grow our love for God? You know, we don't want to get stagnant. We don't want to stay in the same place because we know when we're stagnant, we get in the same place. It stinks. If you're not growing in God, you're not finding out more about God, you're stagnant. And you're going nowhere. So we need to grow all the time. Sustain, then grow. Sustain and grow. If you're not growing, we need to check things out in our lives. But how do we sustain and grow? Do we trust Him more? Does that do it? Do we, do we trust Him more? Do we obey Him more? Does that take care of it? Do we pray to Him more? Does that do it? Those are things that happen from the product. But I'm going to get to the basic, the meat of the matter. Why we do these things. Why do we do why do we want to pray to God? Why do we want to obey Him? Why do we want to trust Him? What for? What does it matter? I'll tell you why. I'll give you the answer. Pretty simple. Because who God is? That's the whole crux to the point. Who God is? I think we lose sight of who God is. We forget. We need to be reminded. Over and over and over. So I'm not here to preach to you. I'm here to encourage you, to remind you. Because I get in the same, I'm in the same place. I forget. God has to remind me. And we're going to talk about Job. He's going to get reminded about who God is. Because that's that's what matters everything. That's what it comes down to. So the whole point of following God is understanding who God is. When we learn to understand who God is, then we'll learn to love him more, which in turn will trust him more, and we'll obey him more, and we'll pray to him more, because we understand, hey, he's it. He's it. Because I a lot of times, this is me, and I'm sure you're like me. You're not much different than me, because you struggle in your Christian life. But I, I think... A lot of times I forget, What's how I want to say this, to really understand who we're dealing with. Do you know who we're really dealing with in reality? It's not our bosses. It's not our jobs. We're dealing with the creator of the universe, the holy, sovereign one, the great I am who I am. That's who we're dealing with. I think we lose sight of that. I do. I go, whoa. Muhammad Ali once said, I am the greatest. Remember that? I am the greatest. He meant the greatest boxer, I think. (laughs) Okay, but you know what? He could go back and up and prove it. He said, I am the greatest. Well, God said a similar thing. When Moses went to um, to, um, tell the Israelites... When God, at the burning bush, you know, there's the burning bush, and God said, you go tell the people of Israel. And then Moses goes, well, who do I say you sent me? You know what God tells him? I am who I am. You tell them that. He didn't give, he didn't beat around the per, uh, proverbial burning bush and give some big theological, theological explanation of who he was. He just says, listen to me. You just tell him, tell them, I am who I am. capiche Understand? Period. Jesus said many times, I am. Do you guys know some of the places in the Bible he said, in the New Testament, he says, I am? Can you name some? How about, I am the Messiah? I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection of life. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and ending. I am. I'll try to explain a little bit different, and this gets to my room. I'm going to go to the sports world. I'm a sports nut, man. You know, I coach. Uh, I coach track and I coach basketball, and uh, so it's easy for me to explain uh, explain this. Uh, Muhammad Ali, Babe Ruth, Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah, I watched Michael Jordan. I used to have season tickets to Chicago Bulls, so I went up quite a bit. You know, and I watched Michael Jordan seeing what he could do. But Muhammad Ali, he always said, "I'm the greatest," and he went out and won three. Different heavyweight championships. And then he used to go out when he was younger, he used to go out and predict what round he was going to knock the guy out in. Now, he didn't always go to that, you know, he, he always didn't do that, but he usually won. He didn't lose too much. He could back it up, he proved what he did. And then the ba- uh, great Babe Ruth, the big great Bambino, is that what it was? The great great Bambino? What's the legend? One day he walks up to the plate, bat in hand, sees a center field fence, he goes, Now that's a no-no in baseball. That is a no-no in baseball. There's a book, I love this book, it's called The Baseball Codes, and it says things that are talked about behind the scenes that no one knows about. You know, if a batter came up today, or it used to be especially in the 60s and 70s, and if a batter came up and walked up to the plate. And did this, you know what would happen to him? He'd get a bean ball right there, guaranteed, because it was disrespecting the other players. But Babe Ruth, he was so confident what he did, he could do. He did it. And how's the story go? Boom! Center field fence, home run. The crowd goes nuts. He proved it. He says, "I can do this." And my favorite. Michael Jordan. I heard this story, and I, I, I love This was so cool. And the story goes... Steve Kerr tells a story. Steve Kerr played about 13 years in the NBA, and he played with Jordan, got some some... He was in different championship teams. He was a real good shooter, but when he was a rookie in the exhibition season, he said, I was sitting on the, si- sitting on the bench on the sidelines, and all of a sudden, the ball came right in front of a bench, and Michael Jordan got it, and he's got the ball in his hands, and he says, he looks straight at me, and he says... Watch this. And then he proceeds to go around Dan Martin and goes, bam, slams it right through. And Steve Kerr's just going, oh, my gosh. What am I getting myself into? You know, he was so scared he didn't want to go in for a few games. He was so scared because it was These guys can just do it. They're so confident in their abilities, they can just tell people what they're going to do. And they go out and do it. No questions asked. Pfft, I can do this. Big deal. Larry Bird used to do the same thing. He can't stop me, Pfft. you know. He, used to, he, was, he was the biggest trash talker. You didn't know that nice white guy. No, he was a trash talker because he could do it. And then they could ba- they could back it up. And they used to take the teams. You know, when things got real bad, you know what they do with Michael Jordan? Here, Mike, take the ball, and he go and sh- sh- score the winning baskets. How many? You know, all you got to do is watch his uh, highlight reels and see how many times he won the uh, won the last shot. You know, so he was unbelievable, but he could do it. and He proved it. And it's called, and what they did a lot of times, he they carried their team on their back. You know, that's the term. They just take their team on their back and do whatever they got to do and stuff like that. And then as spectators, we get to expect the same thing. We watch them and go, oh, wait till, wait till Jordan gets going, you know, or who's your favorite player. I don't know, you know. It's not LeBron, but... Um, <laughs> He's not Michael Jordan yet, okay? But anyway, they'll carry the team on the back, but they can do it. But God's not much different than that. God's not much different. Just think of all the things he's done for you. You take a second and think of what has God done for you. Some of the awesome things that no one else could do in your life, and he's taken care of them. You remember that. That's how awesome my God is. I got, you know, there's a, there's a few ones. Uh, I, I, got some, I got some things that God just amazes me, even just little small things. Sometimes I'm praying about some because I, oh, I, I finally decided I'm going to pray about it because it's troubling me enough. And by the time the words are coming out of my mouth silently, I found it was all taken care of. He already knew. That's how awesome this guy is. Moses found this out. Turn to um, Exodus five, twenty-two to 33. This is a cool story. This is awesome. You know, I've read this, and I never put it in this context. But, oh, when I read this, I went nuts. 5, um, 22. I'll tell you real quick the story of what's happening. After the burning bush, Moses and Aaron got to go tell, um, tell Pharaoh... Let my people go, because God told them to. So they finally decide, okay, I'll do it. So they finally go and see Pharaoh, and they say, God said, let my people go. You know what Pharaoh tells him? Who's this God of yours? Who's he that I should listen to him? I don't know any God like this. And you want to go out into the wilderness for three days? Oh, you got so much time on your hands? Guess what? I guess you can go get your own straw to make the bricks. And in fact, you got to make the same amount of bricks. Oh, oh, all heck breaks loose. Oh, my gosh. Moses gets mad. The people get mad. In fact, in 22, this is what he says. This is what Moses says to God. He says, then Moses went back to the Lord and protested. Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been even more brutal to your people, and you have done nothing to rescue them. Oh, God's response. Cool. Let's go to the next verse, 6-1. This is what God says to him. Then the Lord told Moses, When you will see what I will do to Pharaoh, when he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact... He will force them to leave this land. You know what God was basically telling Moses? He got in his Michael Jordan stance, looked straight at Moses, and said, Moses, watch this. In fact, he goes and tells, let's go to um, chapter um, uh, 9, verse 14. We'll go to 13 if you wouldn't first. And then it says, and the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so they can worship me. If you don't, I will send more plagues on you and your officials and your people. Then you will know that there is no one like me in all the earth. And then he goes to 10.1 and he says, then the Lord said to Moses, return to Pharaoh and make your demands again. I have made him my and his officials stubborn, so he can so I can display my miraculous signs among them I've done it so you so you can tell your children and your grandchildren about how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and about the signs I displayed among them, so you will know that I am the Lord, so you will know so you will understand so You have so much confidence in who I am that you can tell your children, which is hard to do, and your grandchildren who I am. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna show you what I'm all about. I'm gonna put on Michael Jordan. And so that you will know that I am the Lord. Kaboom! In your face. In fact, I used to like this one player, his name was um, Darrell Dawkins. They called him Chocolate Thunder. He was back in the 70s and 80s and stuff like that. And he broke about like four ba- uh, backboards because he, he could dunk so hard. He was such a big guy. And he blew them up before they had the breakaways. In fact, that's why they made the breakaways. Well, he used to name his dunks. And I said, I got thinking about that. I go, I wonder what he would say if he seen God do that. And I think he'd say this he'd say, He had a thunder flying, feral crying. He's shaking, earthquake Egyptian-breaking, rump-roasting, bun-toasting. In your face, disgrace. I am who I am. Slam-jam. In your face, Pharaoh. He was standing over like um, Muhammad Ali did study listing. Yeah. Michael Jordan over Patrick Ewing. He slammed it. Yeah. Now you know who I am. In your face, dude. Ooh, got a little bit of Josh in me there. <laughs> He's got itching ears up there. <laughs> now, the one problem I have, and a lot of us probably do, because you're not much different than me, you know, is that, so I'm going to talk in basketball terms again. We as Christians, we hold on to the ball too long. We think we can do it ourselves. we around, hey, I can do this, I can do this, and we end up knocking it off our foot or, or throwing it into the stands or taking stupid shots. I'm a basketball coach, man. Those things drive me nuts. You know, instead of saying, hey, God, oh, I'm in trouble. Here's the ball. Take it. Do what you do. Go score the victory because we know we've already won the victory. The Bible tells us that. And But we hold on to the ball thinking we can do it. And we forget to pass the ball to God and have him take us on his back and score the points, and get the game. Yes! We forget to do that. You probably already know this, but I'm just reminding you and encouraging you. That's what I love about the pocketbook. It's always encouraging. We wrestle with the questions, but we're always being encouraged. And I think to get back to the basics of loving God, we need to understand who God is is who we're dealing with. And then when we understand that, we can love God more. And then we're going to be more apt to trust him and obey him and love him and pray to him because we know who he is. Hey, he's on our side. He's on our team. Who can stand before us? Who can stand against us, I should say? And here's another last one I got. Here's another example. Turn to the book of Job. You can go to Job 38. I'm going to read a little bit about the first part of Job. The one thing about the book of Job, I remember my good friend of mine, he's passed away now, um, the name was Tom Taylor. He was a pastor of mine. He was my mentor. You know him, Faye. Tom, love the guy. The guy was a good guy. Good man. And he taught me a lot. And I remember him telling me, he says, the Book of Job, he says, there's like, he says, between here and eternity, like and we're talking about the third, fourth, fifth dimension. Well, there is kind of like that. Because there's here and what we see here, and then we have eternity. And he says there's like an invisible veil that's there that we can't see. And every once in a while, God takes that veil and just opens it up just a little little bit so we can get a peek of what it's like. And Job, he does this. He gives us a little glimpse of what it's all about. It's not about here. It's about out there. Because that's the real reality of life. We think this is it. our life is it, or this earth. No. It's out there behind the veil with God. And this book talks about it. And I'm going to read something here. I'm going to read the first part. You don't have to go there, I'm going to read the first part of Job, Job 1. And I'm going to read this story, but I'm going to do something different. How this all came about. I'm going to read it real quick. This is how you'd read it in a newspaper. All right? This would be the facts that we would see and that Job seen. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. Um, he had, um, I'm going to take that one part out. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and he was employed many servants. In fact, he was the richest guy in all the area. Successful businessman. Yeah! That's what we like to hear. Get us some jobs. One day, Job and his sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house. A messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing, um, your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided us. They stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. And I'm the only one to escape to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all your shepherds. And I'm the only one to escape to tell you. And while he was still speaking... A third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldeans raiders have stolen all your camels, killed all your servants, and I'm the only one to escaped to tell you. And then another guy comes and he says, "While well, I was he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their older brother's home. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides, and the house collapsed. All your children are dead, and I'm the only one who escaped to tell you." That's what we see. That would be written in, if that was in our world. That would be written in the paper. We going, oh, poor guy, boy, he's got bad luck. It stinks to be him. I'm glad it's not me. And that's what we that's what we see. But we know the rest of the story. Take that veil, open it up. We see what really was behind the scenes. It was Satan that was doing all that stuff. Satan goes to goes to God and said, "Hey, the only reason." He follows you God is because you give him everything who wouldn't do it and God said okay then I'll let you do what you need to do to him but you can't hurt him so he does all this stuff and then we know later Satan comes another time back to him and then he tells Job he tells God he says hey you know what you hurt him physically and we'll see if he doesn't curse you and then Satan goes out and gives him boils from head to toe. Now, he, is it, this story just didn't happen. Over, I mean, what I mean, this story didn't last just overnight. Did you know that he had to sit with his boils? He didn't say a word for one whole week with boils, terrible open sores all over his body. For a whole week, he didn't say nothing. Oh, man. You, you guys had some difficult times health-wise. Older people, I know I have too. And... Man, sometimes it just makes you miserable. Miserable when you're that sick. Again, we need to understand who God is. We need to understand that. Now, I'm gonna, we interject God into the story, and it changes everything. When you interject God into the story of Job, it changes everything. We know he's in control. He's taking care of it. We always got this hindsight, but when it's happened to us, it's completely different. We're just like Job. Oh, but God's got all the control. When we read that story, is that what you think? Hey, God's got this under control. And that's the truth. I am going to tell you something about Job in the book of Job. I don't view this book as about Job. I did the same thing with Jonah last summer. I talked about that. This book is not about so much about Job, but it's this book is about who God is. And he's going to show Job starting in chapter 38. If we understand who God is, then we're going to understand, learn to love him more, and then we're apt to follow him. Now Job was a blameless man. He was a blameless man. I could not put myself in that category. I'm sorry. And I don't know if you guys can either. So, what was Job? He was a good man. And guess what? Job had to be reminded. God had to remind Job of this. And he does it this way go to chapter 38. Job's complaining. Which, gee whiz, if I, did, if I, would, if I had one quarter, if, if my garage blew down, I'd be so upset. I'd be complaining to God. I just built that thing, God. I worked so hard on that. Can you believe this? And he had all this stuff. So, you know, Job, I just don't know how he did it. He complained, but he was trying to figure out, what did I do wrong? Remember his three, quote, quote, friends? What did they say about him? Hey, Job you must have done something wrong to deserve this we're telling you this because we know god that's what they told him you know i hear a lot of people say that that they know god but these guys didn't know god they knew about god they heard a few probably heard a few sermons read a few verses out of the bible you know heard something on the radio heard some, something else in yoga class You know, and said, yeah, that's what God's all about. They didn't know God because God doesn't work that way. And he showed the other guys, I don't work that way. So you're wrong. Let's go to chapter 38. He was complaining, which was to be natural. And the Lord said to Job from the whirlwind, who is this who questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourselves like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Now, I don't think God was being condescending to Job at this point. Because God knows us. He knows how frail we are. But I think he was saying, Job, I'm bringing you back to reality. Look who I am. And I think he was telling him that way. I want to remind you, Job, who I am. So he asked him questions. In fact, he asked him 64 different questions. It was like a police interrogation with a bright light overhead. Bam, 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 bam all these questions. Can you do this? Can you do this? He says this in verse uh, 4, 38. Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. In 16, it says, have you explored the springs for which the seas come? Have you ever... He says, "Have you explored their depths? Did you know that they didn't know there were springs in the bottom of the ocean until about late '80s or '90s? They didn't know they're there. They finally got down our cameras down there. Wow, they got springs down here. <laughs> yeah, God knew that." And then he says in verse of uh, 38, 31, he says, "Can you direct the movement of the stars, binding the clusters of the Pleiades, uh, the Pleiades or loosen the cords of Orion?" Can you direct the sequences of the season or guide the bear with her cubs across the heavens? Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? You know, right here, this is right here. Right here. This is God. Make it a little hotter, a little colder. He can do all that stuff. He's got a thermometer up there. <laughs> or a thermostat, I should say. It's easy for God. Boop, boop, you know. You know I don't know how he does it, but... It's easy for him. It's like that. He can do all this stuff. And then he says in 40 to Job, 40, uh, chapter 40, verse 1, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? Are you, you are God's critic, but do you have the answers? You criticize me. Like, why do I do this? But do you have the answers? Again, he's not being condescending. He's reminding Job. Of this. Bring him to his senses. He says in, in verse 9 40, Are you as strong as God? Huh? Are you as strong as me, Job? No, I don't think so. And then he goes into 40, 15. I'm gonna make a little sidetrack here, real quick, too. But he says, Take a look at the behemoth, which I made just as I made you. It eats grass like an ox. See its powerful loins and its muscles of its belly? Its tail is as big as a cedar. One of the things that ticks me off more than anything, get your Bible. Some of you got, probably got notes at the bottom. See what it says about, what's it say about Leviathan, the behemoth? You know what it says? You know what some of them say? It could be an elephant or it could be an alligator for the Leviathan. Or it could be some mythical creature. Mine says it could be some mythical creature. Just irks me. You ever see a tail of, uh, of a elephant? You ever see a tail? Is this as big as a cedar? You know, they're about they're about this long and about that round. Is that big as a cedar tree? That's a pretty wooshy cedar tree, if you'd call, if I'd say so. No, this was some big creature. And The leviathan. It said it lived in, the, lived in the ocean. And it said it breathed fire out of its mouth. Oh, that can't happen. Why not? You know the thing about it? It could have been some type of dinosaur. Did you know um, there's a thing called a bombardier beetle? It can shoot out fire out of its tail. They've even found a creature they don't know what it is, but they've got the extra compartment. Um, uh, Gene Randall reminded me of it. I remember seeing this, and it, it, it could have um, held um, the two chemicals that allow that to happen. Couldn't God make something out there like that? The leviathan. Um, it could be a fire-breathing dragon. How many stories throughout history has called uh, fire-breathing dragons? But we call them mythical. Three thousand years ago, the Chinese talked about fire-breathing dragons, all the way up to um, uh, um, who's got the silver? Um, What? Yeah, Arthur. Yeah, yeah, Arthur, uh, King of the Round Tables. Right. So, Knights of the Round Table. No, they talked about them. Now, I don't know what they were, but they weren't an alligator. It wasn't an alligator, and it wasn't an elephant. Well, there could be dinosaurs, but all the people say that dinosaurs didn't live with man. They lived millions of years ago. Well, guess what? They're probably wrong. God says, if you read chapter 38 through 42, the end, and God, everything that God talks about to, to Job, he's seen with his own two eyes. So, guess what? He must have seen a Leviathan and he must have seen a behemoth to understand what he was talking about. So, gee whiz. Maybe he, man did live with some dinosaurs. Could all these scientists be wrong and, God, and God's right? Hmm. Could be. This thing throwing things in perspective. Now, I'll get back to the Mario story. I had to say that one because that, that just irks me, because even in the Bibles, some of those things just do that and it just drives me crazy. <sighs> anyway, okay. Where was I? <laughs> okay, but God never a- answers any of Job's questions. You notice that He never answers one of Job's questions that Job that threw in there in the last um, chapters, all the chapters before. Instead of God uses Job's ignorance of the earth's natural order to reveal his ignorance, uh, his ignorance of God's moral order. If Job didn't understand the workings of God's physical creation, how could he possibly understand God's mind and his character? God went back to the basics with Job. See what I do, Job? Now, why would God do have a blameless man? Because Job still needed to learn to love God more. God wanted to, for Job to experience him more. How many times have we gone through some terrible suffering and that's when we see God the most? We see God the most then. Now, I don't want, you know, a lot of people, I think this is probably the prayer you don't want to pray. Oh, God, help me love you more and see who you are because you know, oh, no. You want to go to get myself into? Yeah. Yep. That's how God works. But he wants to show you who he is and what he's all about. And when you see that, you go, this guy, God is awesome. I want to trust him. I want to obey what he says because I'm going to I'm fear him. Because in Proverbs it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and understanding. Fear of God. And it's good, that's good fear. Because I know who God is. Now, Job's final response. This is this one. This is probably one of my I I always get keep getting better verses I like but this is one of my favorite ones because it puts me back, it puts me in my mind to who God really is and what and what I am we go to 425 and this is his last thing he says to God He said I have only heard about you before but now I have seen you with my own eyes I've only heard about you. He was a blameless guy. He said, i only heard about you before. This, this guy was probably like, you know, I've talked to a Billy, uh, Billy Graham type guy, you know, for Satan to go to God, to him. But he said, I've only heard about you before. But now I've seen you with my own eyes. Now I'm getting to know you, God, who you really, really, really are. And that's just getting back down to basics. In our our Christian lives, we don't need to be doing great things. I mean, how should I say it? Things that we think that are good. If we can learn to love God and love people, you're doing it. You're doing it. I don't know how God works with you when you love God and love people, but he works through you, and he takes care of that. You know... God never answers Job's questions, but they weren't um, the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue was getting to know who he was. But again, I'm going to repeat this because this is basic stuff, and I have to be reminded of this myself. But if we understand who God is and that he is on our side, then we'll learn to love him more, which in turn will be able to trust him We'll want to obey him. We'll want to follow him. We'll want to go where he leads us. Because we know, hey, it's all under control. Because our God is it. I am who I am. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you um, for each person here. Lord, I just pray that we'll all be reminded who you are that you're the great I am, that you got everything in control. This world seems like it's going down the toilet soon. It gets crazy. Things are going to happen, but you know what? You're in control. And I'm going to have to trust you for what you're going to do in my life and, these, and everybody else's here's lives too. So just thank you for that. And we ask you to be with Josh and let him have a relaxing time with his family. And as we go, just remember... Be reminded who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.